and welcome to The Long View. This is a podcast about stories of our vocation and formation, and we're your hosts. I'm Jane Wassum. And Tim Baumgartner. And today we have our guest, Matt Richardson. He's a, a pastor and a musician from Kansas City who's passionate about worship, art, and the creative process. So he traded the plains for the Blue Ridge Mountains in Tennessee, and he is now serving as the Director of Music and Digital Ministry at Adeline Memorial United Methodist Church in Bristol, Tennessee. So he graduated from Emmanuel Christian Seminary last year, as in the, the mentoring program. Um, his favorite things include Beatles, Tolkien, Doctor Who, and watching some basketball, and of course, hanging out in libraries. So we've got another uh, Enneagram 4 with us, but he's also a Ravenclaw and a Newcastle United supporter, and uh, likes most people, and would probably want to be your friend, and I feel like we're already friends, having just met him recently, so... Welcome, Matt. Thank you. Glad to be here. Um, we are friends. I yeah. feel like yeah. Oh yeah. And we. <laughs> you were so important in the early in the early days of me living here when you know we were both at the at the church there. Um, you were super helpful to me, and so I really appreciate you. Yeah, well, thank you. I enjoyed thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, and yeah, getting to work with you a little bit yeah. in those first. Um, that was it. The first year you were in Emmanuel. Yeah, yeah. it was the very first year. Yeah. Um, well, we're just excited to have you here on the podcast with us and um, looking forward to hearing more about you and your story. So tell us a little bit about your story of ministry, um, the things that you kind of led you into ministry or what you've been doing. Yeah. So in general, um, I was exposed to ministry super early on. My dad uh, was a worship pastor um, and I grew up uh, not just uh, in the church, sort of proverbially in the church, but like literally in the church. In the building, yeah. In mm-hmm. the building all of the time. Um, that's like where I learned to play most of the instruments that I picked up when I was young, guitar, piano, drums. I was just constantly there, and so I could go on stage and, and just do play and just do whatever, yeah. And so I was always kind of in my heart and on my mind. And when you grew up in a youth group, that was kind of like your social center. Um, and so... I think there was a there was sort of an idea that if you were good at being a Christian, then that meant that you were to somehow be involved in ministry, mm-hmm. and that there was a natural sort of progression, and that if you followed that progression, there was a pipeline that led you mm-hmm. right to the local Bible college, <laughs> which led you into ministry, which led you into having you know two point five kids and a white picket fence and everything that you've ever wanted as a suburban, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant Kansan. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so that's sort of what happened is I, I, you know, got funneled into Bible college, went to Hope International University in Southern California, mostly because it was close to Disneyland, to be honest. <laughs> that's why you chose it. It's a big that. draw. <laughs> yeah, that, this is a, it was a big draw for me especially. And then sort of had a, a sort of run-in with doubt and, and fear, and then I had a, had a big relationship that kind of had a blow up there at the end. We were engaged and... Mm. Um, uh, gonna get married and then it just sort of fell apart and I sort of just went I don't know where I went but it wasn't it wasn't present I wasn't right. you know I wasn't here so to speak uh, and so I left college and I went home sort of with my tail between my legs and got involved in a band with some old friends which actually turned into something that was pretty cool 
We ended up playing together for about four years, four and a half years, and uh, we were called Attic Wolves. Uh, I would tell you to go listen to us on Spotify, but our music isn't there anymore. I think we just stopped paying the tune core or whatever, oh, yeah. so it's, it's not there. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun, got a lot of followers, uh, traveled the country a lot, and there I sort of kind of found my faith again. And uh, I think just through ministering to people who just genuinely thought that we were different. You know, I always thought it was kind of not lame, but a little kitschy when someone would say, you know, we want people to be like, oh, you guys are different. That's why you're Christians. Right. Mm -hmm. But it actually happened. Like there were people who were just like, why are you so nice to us? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, other bands who, you know, ended up staying at our house and we ended up staying at their house and, and things like that. And so that kind of got me back into wanting to be around people again. And when I went to seminary eventually in 2006, well, right before that, I, I graduated uh, remotely from undergrad. So I did go back to school, but I got into seminary and that's really where kind of ministry sort of started. I worked at some different churches and uh, uh, Jane's Church being one of them, okay. <laughs> just tried a couple different things. And it was a couple different false starts and kind of tripping around and trying to figure out what in the world it is that I'm doing and how it is that I work in a ministerial role. Because, you know, being the Enneagram 4, you always feel like you're the black sheep and that you never fit in anywhere. And blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Uh, and that was uh, definitely the case. Uh, but eventually, I kind of, I found my stride when I realized that I didn't want to be a professor. Mm -hmm. And that was okay. a big realization, because that's kind of what I went to school for originally, was to, was to do that. And then when I discovered that that wasn't in the, uh, I thought that it would validate me somehow. Sure. I get the letters thing behind to me. your name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, realized I didn't need that, I didn't want that, and um, that kind of led me back into the idea of answering the question of, okay, so what am I doing here then? You know, by hook or by crook, I sort of ended up where I ended up, um, and that was focusing on, on worship and focusing on, you know, sacramental theology and liturgical theology, and that got less and less abstract the more that I worked on it, found its way to the ground a little bit more. Um, and then by the time I graduated, I kind of felt that uh, I was ready to just enter into worship ministry, you know, on the ground at a church, you know, Sunday to Sunday. Yeah. Um, and that's where I've ended up now. Uh, I've been at Adeline for a year on May 1st. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next week, um, I'll be on vacation, so I won't actually be there <laughs> for my annual right? <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. big celebration. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and it's been it's been a ride. You know, the the ministry has been um, it's been rewarding, but it's also been challenging. We've had a pastor change, which I mean, in the Methodist churches, kind of par for the Common. course. Yeah. But you know, it was big for me not having the person that hired me mm -hmm. there. Yeah, um, sure. And as the you know the new pastor working, in, he's great, but works in an entirely different way, mm -hmm. on entirely different wavelength. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of my ministry summary, okay. so to speak. Great, that's good to hear. They kind of came back around to it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, definitely. So why you shared a little bit about kind of finding yourself in it? Why did you choose it? What what was it about ministry that made you feel like this this is the thing for me, and kind of gave you the confidence to. Uh, I guess to kind of live into that. Why did you choose ministry? Yeah, I kind of feel like you know, I didn't choose the thug life, but the thug life chose me. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, uh, I really do feel like that. It's it's chased me around sort of all my life. I've always been around it, um, and ever time, any time I've tried to get away from it, it always kind of followed you, followed mm -hmm. me around. Mm -hmm. Just a succession of surrendering and going, okay, <laughs> fine. 
It does. It it, it broadens it broadens me. It, it widens my borders and, and it makes me it makes me interact with the world in new ways every day, which you know, it's one thing to say, I'm gonna chase the good. I'm gonna try to chase what it is that I need to do. And it's another thing to have um, to be shaped by the good and be expanded and um, find that you are being altered, just not you altering everything around. I, I think that's attracted me to ministry more and more, the more that I do it. Yeah, that's a different perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which kind of leads us to um, the next question that we just wanted to hear from you about, which is your definition of vocation or calling so, like, when you think about calling, you know, we say those words a lot. We talk about those words a lot, calling into ministry, but also just calling in our lives, um, vocation. What would you say is your definition of of those words? And um, do you think it's changed over time? Yeah. I mean, you know, there's always the idea that's, you know, where giftedness meets opportunity. But I think there's also a, a sense of flexibility, and that's kind of the idea that that has changed the more that I thought about vocation and the more that I've sort of wandered around this life trying to figure out what it is that I'm supposed to do. And it kind of goes back to what I said before, is that you know we kind of think of, you know, God gives us desires, and those desires point to certain things, and and we need to lean into our desires because it is God who made us the way that we are and when we lean into that um, we sort of find our, our giftedness and when we keep our eyes open to the opportunities that are around us we you know we sort of fall in a place and that's that's not a bad definition that's a pretty good definition I think but there's also a sense in which um, when you orient yourself to the world in a certain in a certain way you find that and when you orient yourself to God in a certain way you find that your desires change so it's not just you sort of chasing the dream all the time. Sometimes your dreams change, your visions change. You get to the end of the golden rainbow and you look around and you go, oh, this isn't what I thought it was or this isn't what I wanted. And, and you know, which we talked about with the whole professorship thing. And being like, okay, well, what now? And so I found that my definition of vocation became a whole lot more flexible and a whole lot more about context um, and a, whole, a lot more about uh being willing to be surprised. You know, I took a, it, it's funny that this is the best thing that happened to me in seminary <laughs> because I actually didn't end up doing my actual um, uh, chaplaincy work because it was COVID year. It was 2020, okay. yeah. summer of 2020. And, you know, even the 2021 folks, even though they were still in COVID, they were able to find a way to make it work, to yeah. make it work mm-hmm. and, and circumvent a lot of the big hurdles. But I, we weren't. And so Dr. Holland, our, our uh, supervisor in that area, just ended up throwing together a class, having us read some books and, and interview chaplains. But it was actually so formative for me that, you know, everybody was kind of like, oh, you got the, you got the makeup class. You got the, the, the weak sauce, apple sauce kind of version. You're like, um, actually. Actually, it was super good for me. And I don't, I don't know if anybody else got this out of the okay. course. Uh, but I did because um, we interviewed Laura Richardson, who's a chaplain, and she talked about how ministry is like walking into the hospital room. If you come into the hospital room with your spiel, with your notes, you mm-hmm. know, looking at what you're going to do, you're, you're going you're gonna to drop the ball. You're going to whiff big. Yeah. 
um, you've got to go in there and look at the context and pay attention and be ready to be whatever that person in the room needs you to be. And that was a big paradigm shift for me because I'd come into every job being like, okay, this is, this is what worship is supposed to be. This is what church music is supposed to be like. These are my opinions about how this is supposed to work. Yeah. And I need to get everybody on the bus and get the bus moving to where we need to go. And, and there wasn't an awareness of what was really happening in the room, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that, that, that made a big change in my mind. I think it'd be hard, it can be hard to sort of read the room in that sense yeah. and to be able to know what is needed or what is required. Yeah. Yeah, that's hard to change on the fly. So how, has, um, how have you struggled then with understanding your vocation and, um, you know, with doubts? I know you, like, wanted to be a professor and then realized that wasn't it yeah. and found some other direction. But, like, where did you find kind of hope in the midst of those doubts? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really good at doubt. I, I, I rock it down. Yeah. Got that Me one down. Too. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I got that. It's good. But aside from all of the the worry about the immediate future, I think I also I do think about the long view, and I do have a lot of anxiety um, even now in terms of the sort of adjustments that I've made and terms of paying attention to my contacts and things like that. I still have a lot of anxiety about. Oh, is this where you want to be? You know, or where do you want to be in the future? Or, you know, because you're never in a position where all of your desires are being met. You're never in mm -hmm. a position where all your boxes are being ticked. And if you're a grass is greener on the other side kind of person, which I tend to be, um, there's always this sort of ennui that is like, you know, fear missing out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Especially as a four. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. You know, I think hope amidst that has been finding small ways to pursue things that I love in the midst of work. You know, I write a lot of music. I think that if I were to pinpoint, you know, one of my main strengths, as far as a skill, maybe not in terms of life skills, but in terms of, like, particular skills, I think writing music would be probably number one. Okay. I've done it all my life. Finding a career doing it is hard, and especially right. when, you're, when you're saddled with a bunch of debt, you know, mm -hmm. from school you know, if you don't have that, you have the luxury to go out and starve in a van because the only thing you have to do is put food in your stomach and you can negotiate with your stomach. <laughs> you know, you can't yes. negotiate with the lenders. Yeah. <laughs> they tend to, as to well. not work for trade. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah. work that yeah, way. Yeah, they tend to not be into that mm -hmm. arrangement. So um, that's been, been some of that, you know, but also I had the chance where I was able to write, you know, being in Adequals, the band, we entered a song in the John Lennon Songwriting Contest in 2015 and actually won. Nice. Uh, we won a bunch of, we got to open for like Avid Brothers and some other people. And, what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Got, to, got to meet them. Yeah, they're That's crazy. They play ping pong always. <laughs> it's, it's a great, great um, game. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, and they're really good. Um, I did not play because <laughs> it was scary um, how... how far they were from the table and how fast they hit it on another level huh yeah on a different level and so you know i got some feedback that was like um you know the guys from um what's the name of that preservation hall jazz band okay uh were the people that picked our song to go to the next round where it kind of continued to win round after round until it got to the top you know i got feedback that oh hey your stuff is really good but at the same time that wasn't it didn't feel like it was it being in the band didn't feel like it was it. I still felt like there was something 
that was missing. Yeah. Um, and so I went to something else. And so I'm not sure if it's more of a case of I just left that for another thing and I just don't want to do that again, or if that actually does indicate like a bigger arc towards something mm-hmm. else. You know, it's kind of hard to tell, honestly. Yeah. But I've been writing in my own time. I'm trying to write worship music. I'm really bad at it. Um, that, that, it would be difficult. It's hard because yeah. you're just like, you know, if a, if, a, if a love song lyric is bad, you know, maybe you'll get spurned by your by your prospective lover or by your current lover, or uh, you might get made fun of by, you know, some friends. Yeah. Get made, you know, made fun of. Yeah, by some friends and and all of that. But I feel like, gosh, if I mess up, it's on worship. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God's like <laughs> meh. <laughs> Don't think so. Not good enough. Not good enough. Um, uh, but you know, it's a skill. It's a skill that I'm working on, and so just finding little ways to to keep things going and understand that nothing is forever but it doesn't mean that you don't stay in the present okay right so there's this tension of um you can be freed by the idea that you're not stuck but you shouldn't stay somewhere because you feel stuck and so that being unstuck actually gave me freedom to be present because i want it to be if that makes any sense at all (laughs) It's a little counterintuitive. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of it, a lot of things work. They are counterintuitive, and it's hard to uh, explain that feeling. You talked about like being in the band, like this is a great thing, and we've gotten some feedback that that we're actually pretty decent, but it's just not right. It just yeah. doesn't fit right. And to be able to describe or articulate the feeling when you do have that thing that feels right, that, that it's hard. It's a harder challenge than you might expect. Um, because like no, I should be happy with this thing yeah. because mm-hmm. this is working. Right. Um, but it's this is working for me for who I am for now in this moment. It might not be in five years. Yeah. But for now, this is it, and this is how it works. That's hard to articulate. Yeah. And I've told my you know conversations with mom and dad back home. You know, mm-hmm. talking about where I'm at with my vocation and my calling. We talk about that a lot. Um, I talk about that a lot. And they listen. <laughs> they listen. <laughs> they listen. Uh, but kind of saying, you know, I feel like I'm closer to who God wants me to be than I've ever been. Like my proximity, you know, towards getting closer to, you know, being there or this being it. Sorry, my air quotes don't pick up over <laughs> audio. Um, air quotes. Air quotes. <laughs> you know, you're never you're never quite exactly there, of course, but. You can be closer, and that can make you feel like you're getting somewhere. Right, yeah. So kind of to keep going with that feeling, or when you think about just hopes that you have from where you are now, but looking just out you know, into the future, but just hopes and dreams that you have for ministry uh, or yourself in the work that you do, whether it's in your vocation you know, or other things, but what hopes and dreams come to mind and heart I think my biggest, my biggest goal and my biggest hope is to find the place where um, some of the more abstract things, like ideas that I have about how the trajectory that church worship should have, how ways that a church uh, ministry program ought to work, ways it ought to form people. And the other abstract things like, you know, that have to do more with me. Like, you know, am I living into this part of my writing talent 
or uh, am I growing in terms of this aspect of my relationship with people or things like that? Uh, those abstract things, my, my, my hope is to, to sort of graph them in and bring them in with the daily responsibilities of ministry and the daily grind of, um, well, sometimes it's a grind and sometimes it's a joy, but it's the daily, the daily process of, you know, talking with so-and-so about this problem in their family and, and, you know, getting through choir rehearsals and, um, you know, just the daily tasks that you have before you. I think that that's always been the, the curveball. That's always been the punch that I didn't see coming in my earlier ministries was the daily stuff that would just sort of seem so disjointed from the ideal. Here we go four again. (laughs) (laughs) Some ethereal. I'm such a token four. I know. (laughs) We'll never attain, but exactly. Yeah. Um, I think for me, the hope is bringing those together because I've now had experience being successful at the daily it's been super rewarding to sort of put my hand uh, to that particular plow and have it you know produce fruit and so now I kind of feel like okay I've got some traction there I've kind of figured out how do I make things work from Sunday to Sunday how do I you know stay on the ball without falling off mm-hmm. now I feel like I can dig in the roots a little bit deeper and try to start Moving on, moving from the to-do list, bringing it into where do we want to be as a church and who do we want to be as people and how do I want this to really work in terms of partnering with other people and articulating a vision and me with the staff and all the other people moving towards that vision. So how does that being grounded in that, knowing that, I guess, that comfort and confidence in the daily stuff, how does that give you hope to look further down the road than you had before? Um, because you never know what's coming. And if you just take things as they come, a lot of times things happen. I actually just, I, I wrote a tune a couple of days ago uh, called uh, Real World. And it was just basically the idea is you never know what's coming. So live in the real world because the fake world is going to oftentimes let you down when you try to get it on the ground. The ideal universe is usually just in your brain. Um, but when you live in the world, you can su- you can surprise yourself, and things can really come that are better than what you expected. It's like what we were talking about, like chasing chasing the end of the rainbow. You get what you expect in that, um, or you get what you were chasing in that scenario. But what you were chasing is not necessarily always what you need. Right. And you find that when you live day to day, and you follow the Spirit, and you follow God, God brings you things that you didn't know that you wanted. And that grows you and expands you. Yeah, so getting back to the changing of desires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So in, in this process, you know, we're thinking about, like, direction, where we're headed, and, you know, do I take this job or that job, pursue school or not, and thinking about the issues and questions about decision-making and about discernment. So what does, what does I guess, your discernment practice look like? How do you make those hard, tough decisions? I think, first of all, I have to be pursuing daily rhythms that ground me in spiritual realities because if I don't have those antennas up if I'm not spiritually calibrated to be in a to be in a position of listening um, I don't hear what it is that God is trying to say Um, and so really following daily rhythms of prayer and trying to stay physically active and 
um, trying to stay healthy the best that I can. Um, those things, you know, really, really calibrate me towards being in a place where I can listen and perceive what it is that God is trying to tell me. So I think that's the first aspect of my practice that I try to, I try to pursue and hone. And I think the second is to just practice the presence of Christ. You know, I don't know if you guys know the Brother Lawrence mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. It, that was a changer for me. That was a, it was a yeah. game changer. Um, uh, just uh, finding God in, in the everyday grind, uh, not as like a concession, right. but as like, this is it. Like, right. this is, this the is thing. where it is. This is where it's at. Um, that was huge. As someone who tends to sort of live in my head and live in the ethereal world, that was super satisfying to find um, to find God in that place and just brought me in connection to to other people. Living in that present space just gave me the ability to connect so that I and, and this is this is a big theme actually. I wasn't just trying to do ministry to be good at it. To give myself the validation that whatever it was that I was doing in my life, that I was good at it. Yeah. Um, it was more that I was doing it because I'm doing it, because this is the task, and this is what it is that I've been called to do. So I'm not just doing it to do it well, though, of course, we all want to do it well, uh, but to doing it, to do it to actually uh, achieve the, the things that are laid out in front of you, and, and hopefully in the long view, just live out the mission of the gospel and of Jesus and the church. Yeah, I think it's really helpful to hear from you about that those daily practices and and kind of you know being uh, both shaped by that daily work you know of those routines um, and listening listening to God in those daily rhythms and practices. Um, can you think back to any periods of time or points of decision making? that there were any other pieces of, of things that you did or re- people you reached out to to help you in those discernment times or decision-making as well. Yeah, well, you know, shameless plug for seminary here. <laughs> you just happen to have, like, quality minds, quality hearts, um, quality personalities sort of at your disposal uh, to be able to ask questions and to be able to seek counsel, um, and to just be able to show up in their office. And now that doesn't only have to exist in seminary, of course. Sure. There, there are all kinds of uh, mentoring figures. But you know, having having a mentor situation, as I had, um, not just with my MRC mentor, which I have now, but also with just professors and even older students. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and and pastors at the church where I've been through all seminary and those just being to just sit in their office and you know sort of <laughs> bleed out on their floor sort of <laughs> yeah. proverbially you know <laughs> yeah and just have them listen and you know like a good a good counselor just oftentimes listens and nods I've heard it called light post counseling because mm-hmm. sometimes you just need to talk to someone and it might as well be a light post <laughs> or lamp post right. you know but having um, that other person in the room makes a big difference. But having that other person mm-hmm. in the room, yeah, it makes a big difference. And so don't do it alone. Do it do it with someone. Um, do it with a mentor. And also, you know, do it in a community. You know, I think none of us are meant to do this alone. And there's no way I could have done this alone or come to these realizations alone or have found my way through all of this stuff alone. 
And so, yeah, um, whether it's in a mentor capacity, which I think is crucial, or just going along with friends and neighbors, just being there with people, I think, was huge, is huge. It's important to find that after seminary, too. Yes. Yeah, so. I, I was actually going to ask that <laughs> next. <laughs> but yeah. uh-huh. because on one hand, you know, when I went to seminary as well, it's like that was a natural, in, it was kind of a natural part of seminary, at least for me. In. Yes, it was built in. So obviously the transitions uh, out of seminary or into other places or jobs or things like that, do you have uh, any words of advice about finding both the community or the mentors or just the people, like as you talk about, I think that was a really neat way to talk about it, like quality minds, hearts, you know. You know, I think sticking with it wherever you've been able to find it, you know, I was able to find it in seminary, it was built in. But it's sort of like community anywhere, you know, you get, you're in high school or college and all the community is built in. And then you hit your 20s. And I've seen, I saw this in my younger brother. I saw it in me. I've, I've seen it. You you hit your middle 20s and you're just like, oh my goodness, I have to make friends and I have to like go out and find these people and like not scare them away. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it's it's tough. I mean, I you know, like I said, I've been blessed to form friendships that I've been able to keep going. And, I, and I'm sure that there are ways to foster those. I know that there are a lot of pastor support groups out there and, and preaching groups and people who find ways to connect because being being a minister can be really lonely yeah it can um you know because you have to have boundaries with other people Uh, there are certain things that you that you can't unload on your congregants can't bleed out yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) that that you know and if you need to do that you need to you have a place that you can do that um you know with pastors who are older and more experienced or just um people people that you trust outside of, you know, your um, immediate sort of all, all of the parishioners, basically, that you can that you can connect with. So however you, f- I mean, I don't exactly know how you're supposed to find all of them. You know, like I said, I got lucky mm-hmm. um, yeah. and will hold on to those relationships and not yeah. <laughs> let them right. go don't as much as I go. can. Mm-hmm. I do know ministers who have those preaching groups and have those guys they went to Bible college with, girls they went to Bible college with. But whatever it was, you know, they, they, they found that and they held on to it. So I think yeah, that's a really good question. So what sort of an encouragement then do you have for others? Maybe in a similar situation, like how would you encourage folks to stay open to sort of God's leading and direction in their life? Yeah. I think it was Simone Weil who said prayer is attention, that prayer is sustained attention. And to be attentive, you know, if we sort of reverse engineer that, then to be attentive is also to be prayerful. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think to pay attention and to be present, not particularly just to you know, tap into the vibe of whatever magical juju that presence has to offer you, but to actually just be present, actually just be there with people and with yourself, you will be surprised. You know, it's if you... I feel like God... God will let you death grip God if you want to. And you will get out of that what you will get out of that. You know, if you choke off that energy, God will just go, okay. <laughs> I mean, I have no theological, biblical proof for that. <laughs> but in my, in my experience, I've seen that be the case where 
if you're going to try to choke it out and control everything, you will you will get out of that what you put into that and you, the result will be the result. But if you if you open up and allow some space and allow some trust there, you might be surprised at what comes down the pike. I think about you know, a lot of monks practice, especially the Benedictine monks, practice the idea of prayer as a conversation. Life is prayer of, of acting and reacting. And so for a lot of us, prayer is just talking. Prayer being something that listens as well. Um, and listening being not just a practice of sitting in a room listening, but listening with our schedules, with our, you know. Right. And, and you got to create that framework where you can be in a space where you can listen. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I think that that can, that can open you up to surprise. And I think God likes to surprise us. And honestly, it's the thing that makes life worthwhile. Who was it? It was G.K. Chesterton who said that uh, if there were a, a chair, an automatic chair that gave us everything that we ever wanted, the only thing that we would ever ask for that chair in the end is a button that gave us surprise. <laughs> because otherwise, everything else would become boring. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love I love the way you talked about that um, and about prayer. And I think that, you know, when we think about telling our stories and being open to God's leading in our life, that's that's where we go is being attentive to God um, in our lives and how, you know, how do we better do that? Um, so I think that we really appreciate hearing how you do that. Well, we... Uh want to close with a we usually do a poem or a prayer and today we'd like you might even know this one we um going to close with thomas merton the thomas merton prayer which um i guess most people know it in that way um but it's all about sort of how do you do that well how do you search and seek well when you don't really know what's going on and thanks for joining us today you're welcome and it's a pleasure. talking about all of these things we appreciate who you are and the work that you do thank you my lord god i have no idea where i'm going I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I actually am doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. Amen. That's good. That's always the... I say that one more often than I like to admit. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Well, again, Matt, thanks for joining us, and uh, look forward to a new friendship now. Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Hope to talk to you again. See ya. Thanks.